want to show you something that I'm extremely proud of. Are you ready? I brought my t-shirt. Okay. This is the one and only marathon I've ever been in. Do you see the date? Were some of you not alive? <laughs> yeah, you weren't alive, were you? You're making me feel awful. Okay. This is the one and only marathon I've ever run in my whole life. And I have a t-shirt to prove it. My kids are like, Mom, I can't believe you kept that t-shirt. I said, it still has the sweat stains. I said, please. I said, this is my shirt. Are you kidding me? What I remember is that it was a battle against my mind, okay, as much as it was my body. I am convinced that if a marathon would be 30 miles instead of 26.2, that, you know, the last four miles of the 30 would be the same as the last four miles of the 26.2. It just doesn't matter. It's just a mind game. And, you know, to win this mental battle, I used to have to play games, okay? And, and I would do mind tricks. Before the race, I'd say, you know what? It's not 26.2 miles. It's 13 water stops, okay? It's, how many of you have run a marathon? Any of you? Excellent. Right? 13 water stops. Is that right? And when you get there, you are one happy girl, aren't you? All right. So, and so, you know, I would say to myself, the sooner I finish, you know, then, you know, the sooner I can quit running. Okay. I would, I would say things like, you know, I, I've trained all this time. I just can't quit. I've prepared and I just can't quit. Okay. I remember absolutely vividly like it was yesterday. And it wasn't, as you can tell by the date. Okay, I can remember that I had four some miles to go, and I was going to walk. They call it, you hit the wall, and I was done. I was going to walk. The pain was excruciating. I was running with my hands above my chest just to try to get some air. And I remember thinking that, um, all right, I've run 22 miles, and I'm rationalizing. You know, I've done, come on, most people don't run 22 miles, so I should be able to, to quit by now. And so I was going to start walking. And just as God would have it, a guy came up next to me and said, don't quit now. Don't quit now. He said, you can hear the roar of the crowd. You can see the shoot. You can see everything about it. Don't quit now. You've trained for this. You only have four miles left. You went 22 already. Don't quit now. You can do this. I'll run alongside you. You can finish this. You have come so far. Refocus. Focus on the finish line because you can do that. It's right around the bend. Don't give up. It'll be so worth it. Just keep on going. I was so thankful for that angel. I want to tell you. You know, he gave me strength when I didn't have any more. And I remember coming around the bend, coming into the chute, hearing the crowd roar, hearing the applause, you know, doing the high-fiving, doing the low-fiving, and coming through and seeing my friends and seeing my family just amazingly, you know, clapping for me, right? They're clapping for me. Lots of happy tears. And the first thing I did is I thanked that man for believing in me, for allowing me to keep running with him. He sacrificed for me because he was speeding up and going to go past me, and he slowed down to run alongside next to me. And I will never forget that. And what happened is, is he gave up his desires to finish well, so that I could finish well with him and as we crossed the finish line. See, it wouldn't have happened, though, if I hadn't have flipped my focus. If I wouldn't have taken my focus off of my feelings and off of my pain and off of the feeling that I felt like I was going to collapse as I was running or somewhat jogging along, it wouldn't have happened. 
if what I was stayed focused on the same stuff. But my focus wasn't on my feelings anymore. My focus had turned to the prize. My focus had turned to the finish line, no matter what. And I was going to finish. See, that's what like the Apostle Paul is saying. And tonight we're going to look at that. In his last words before he moved to heaven, okay, he says this in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, this is what I've done. I'm going to continue doing this. I am going to, I'm fighting the good fight. And I have fought it. And I'm going to run the race. And he kept focus. And I'm sure there was a time when he needed to flip his focus. I mean, have you read about the Apostle Paul? The storms he went through, the shipwrecks he went through, uh, you know, the thorn in his side, all the different stuff, the, the false accusations, the prison time he spent. Most of the time, I'm sure he had to flip his focus. So here's my question for you tonight. Do you need to flip your focus? Hmm, Kathleen. One cheek in it. Not so much flipping your focus. Not giving the one who is worthy the stool of her life. That's what Paul's talking about in uh, Philippians 3. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up. If not, I just want you to listen. It's Philippians 3, verse 12. It says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. After all, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. For as often as I have told you before and say now again with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Won't that be a great day? No more marathons anymore for that, right? We'll be transformed into his glorious body. Did you notice how Paul continued to remind himself to stay focused? To continue to keep on keeping on, or if necessary, to flip his focus. Words like this, I press on. This one thing I do. I press toward the goal for the prize. As well as, and if you think differently, God will make it clear to you as well. In other words, he'll flip your focus. What was Paul's goal? What was his resolve? 
What was his focus in life? What was his prize at the end of the finish line? To become more and more and more like Jesus. And less and less and less like his putrid self. Yep, that's what it was. Back in verses uh, 10 through 11 in Philippians uh, 3, it says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering so I can become like him. Then he says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I'm resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he says in Romans 8, 29, he said, the destiny of all Christians, all believers, is this, to be conformed to the likeness of God's Son. That's our goal. That's our absolute goal. So Paul's reason for living, his focus in life was to become more and more like Jesus. He had one goal in life, to know Jesus personally, passionately, powerfully, and preeminently over his whole life. And all the other goals will fall out of that one. They'll just flow out of that one. You know, I know that I used to have one goal. And uh, Jill shared as she was introducing me, uh, as I shared my testimony years ago, that one goal was pretty much all about living for me. It was living for me. I was on the stool of my own life. It was self-glory. It was selfishness. It was all about living for this old world and its lure. And for 31 years of my life, I was sitting on the stool of my life. Not even one cheek in it. Just owning that stool. Until Jesus came along and flipped my focus. And I was able to hear him. And now my focus is to know him personally and passionately. And powerfully and preeminently. One goal one focus, one resolve, and all the other goals do flow out of that one. So in Philippians, we're going to look at four different ways to keep our focus. Okay, we just read the verses, and Paul shares with us, okay, to become more and more like Christ and less like ourselves, okay, as we run the marathon of life, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. And the first one is to never quit training. Never quit training. We should never stop striving to grow up. You know, you can't tread water with Jesus. You're either going forward with him or you're going backward with him. You can't tread water. In verses 12 and 13 where Paul writes, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on. I press on. I do not consider myself having obtained this, but I have taken hold of it. And this one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining, straining like in a marathon to what is ahead. I press on. I press on. Years ago at the Beijing Olympics, an American hurdler named Lolo, she was absolutely favored to win the hurdles, but something unthinkable happened because on the last hurdle, she fell, and she fell to defeat. However, this is what she said immediately after she was done with the race. I saw the golden road ahead of me, but then disaster. Biggest race of my life, and I fall. This isn't the 100 meter. This is the hurdles, and the hurdles are there for a reason. I'm still a champion. I'm still running, and I'll get faster. She took what looked like disaster at that time. The favored one, the big fall, and a disaster. 
She fell down, but she didn't quit training. What'd she say? I'll keep running. I'll get faster. I'll continue. I will recommit to training even harder. Do we do that? Do we commit like Paul said, or like this Lolo said, to always, always train, never stop training? When life isn't going as it seems, like maybe when your financial portfolio is in the toilet, or maybe your kids aren't living up to the dreams that you so had for them, or maybe your husband isn't the leader of the household that you had wanted and expected him to be, or maybe you, you just keep doing that same old sin over and over and over and over again. Do you get up? Do you press on? Do you keep training so you can finish well? Because remember, it's not how we started. It's how we finish that matters. Listen to this little story. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious, and Lazarus, well, he was dead. Look at how those people in the Word of God, all written about in the Word of God, look how they started. Maybe like some of us. But they were willing to allow God to change them, to use them, to flip their focus, just like he did in me. And he wants to do in you. See, Paul tells us in Philippians, you know, he doesn't say he's arrived, right? He hasn't arrived in spiritual maturity. He said, you know what? We're never going to do that on this side of eternity. That's only going to be in heaven. So our training should never end. Our focus should never end. We need to be more and more and more like Jesus in our thoughts, our words, and actions as we keep our focus on him. Think about the Apostle Paul. Just, just a little bit of history on the guy. Okay, he was one of the big kahunas in Christianity. He wrote more than half of the New Testament. Okay, he started several churches. He did the spread of Christianity in the then known world. He was given the title of apostle, which is a title that's authoritative, that he's able to settle um, doctrine and church policy with that authority. And in spite of all of his influence, in spite of all of his power, Paul never reached a point where he said, yeah, I made it. Yeah, I'm here. I've arrived. That's great. I know all I need to know. In fact, you know what he said? He said the exact opposite. He said, I'm learning. I'm still growing. There is always something more to learn, something more to understand how to be Jesus, how to do what Jesus would do. And that's called keeping your focus. And Paul did that so well. My mom, who moved to heaven, it'll be uh, six years ago, coming up on August 8th. When she was 88 years old, uh, she had a physical handicap of uh, macular degeneration. 
she also had um, two hip replacements and neuropathy in her feet. And so she had moved into an assisted living in Madison, in Oakwood Village. And she would say to me, Margo, they're going to have to trip over me before they get to damnation. I'm like, that rocks, Mom, at 88 years old. And so she kept her focus. She kept on sharing with people. And what happened is she wasn't able to read the Word of God anymore. So she'd have sighted women come and share with her. And then she'd share with them. She'd listen on tape and to recordings to her favorite pastors like Stuart and Jill Briscoe or Charles Stanley or Chuck Swindoll. She kept training. She kept focused at age 88. She kept wanting to be more and more like Christ. She even led Bible studies because she had hidden the word in her heart. And her one goal was to know Jesus personally and passionately and powerfully and preeminently over her whole life. And she never gave up training. Her last breath, she looked at me with her finger and she said in my eyes, Margo, you be faithful. Never quit training. You be faithful. She kept becoming more and more like Christ because that was her one goal. That was her one focus. And you know what that did? It kept her humble. She had such a great, grateful heart. She was so humble because you know what it did? She became more acutely aware of her inadequacies, of her limitations, of her weaknesses. So if we want to keep focused, or if we want to have Jesus flip our focus, we have to never, ever Stop training. And secondly, we must commit to never look back. Never look back. Verse 13 that we read before, it says, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead. Right? But those 22 miles of like, oh yeah, I did 22 miles. Okay, I'm looking back. I got four to go. 4.2 to be exact. Straining for what's ahead. You know, the biggest barriers for most of us in enjoying Jesus, what he has for us today, is our stubborn unwillingness to release those things that happened yesterday, to let those things go. And some of the things that we can't release are accomplishments of the past. They're accomplishments. We live on our past triumphs. Like we live on like a decision you made for Christ in your early childhood. Or there was a time when you were on a spiritual mountaintop and you just loved it and you keep looking back at that time. Or there was a moment when you took a bold stand for Jesus Christ with someone in the past, but it was in the past because it's the only time that you can remember that you ever did. That kind of stuff. See, these spiritual milestones, what happens is as wonderful as they were, they become tombstones. They become tombstones because we have grown, I should say, we have not grown past that point. Because we keep looking back at those as the accomplishments. We stopped doing the forward progress, and we constantly stand looking back at the good old days, wishing that those were there. Like the Israelites in the Old Testament, I mean, what a hoot they were. You know, I mean, here, here's God leading the Israelites, right, to the promised land, out of Egypt, okay? And he had everything that they needed for their journey, everything. 
because that's who God is. He provided everything. They had shade by day. They had light by night. They had water to drink. They had manna to eat. And what happened is, you know, the time came, however, when the people didn't keep looking forward and thanking God for what he'd given them, they kept looking back to what they had in Egypt to the point that they said this out of Numbers 11. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite We never see anything but this manna. Manna that came to them miraculously every day. See, the people of Israel began to hunger for those things of the past and had lost their grateful heart of what they had now in the present and what they'd have in the future. And so God taught them a great lesson, giving them the things that they asked for. And he gave them quail until they grew incredibly sick of it. And you know why? Because they'd begun to look back. They had begun to look back and failed to trust God now. Failed to trust God in the present and in the future for all of his blessings. So let me ask you, are you an onion and garlic Christian? Or melon and leek Christian? Constantly looking to the past, constantly looking to those accomplishments and sort of sitting on those laurels? Because if your Christian testimony that you share is entirely taken up what God did with, to you, with you, through you, 10 to 20 years ago, if you're constantly talking about the good old days when God's blessing was on your life instead of right now, You're resting on your accomplishments in the past. You're looking back. You're looking back. What is God doing right now in your life? What did he do this morning in your life? What did he do this week in your life? Have you lost your focus on the prize? Do you need to flip your focus? So you think of where you started, okay? But you don't leave there. You continue on the stopping points along with him where he makes you over and you keep on keeping on with him and you see what he's doing right now in your life. He's always active. He's always running with you. In fact, it says in the word of God, you keep in step with the spirit. You continue to run with him. He wants to run with you all the way to the end so you finish well. It's not going to happen if you keep looking back. What is stopping you? What is stopping you from looking back? You know, Paul had amazing amount of spiritual mountaintops. I mean, you know, in his past, to which he could have gone and retreated and just sat there and numbered them and said, yep, done this, done this, yep, 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 great, great, great. But he says, I'm forgetting the good things of the past so I can reach out to the better things that God has for me. You know, many Many people, when I speak at all different places or when I run into them, you know, at grocery stores or, you know, wherever we hang out and, and they recognize my voice or whatever, they'll say, oh, Margaret, you know what? I so miss you guys on the fish. I so miss that in my life. And I'll say, you know what? I do as well. But God has something better that he's doing, right? That was a five-year time that this is where we were and this is what he had. And now he continues to be the same God and he's doing something even more. 
And we have to continue to keep our eyes on the prize. And I want to join him in whatever he is doing. I don't want to keep looking back at the past and saying, oh, yeah, that was great. I want to join him in what he's doing now. Whatever he wants. See, it's going forward. It's not going backward. It's not looking at the good things of the past, but keeping your focus on the better things that he has for you now and in the future. And not only do we not look back at our accomplishments, but you don't look back on the hurts. You don't look back on the hurts of the past. See, what happens is then you spend all your time fondling and nursing a grudge, and it won't get any better. And remember the definition of, of um, bitterness, of bitterness. It is swallowing a bottle of poison, hoping the other person will die. Right? Swallowing a bottle of poison, hoping the other person would die. My precious dad, who has also moved to heaven now, he, uh, he was an incredible provider. He loved Jesus. He had a commanding presence when he entered the room. He was very humorous, okay? But you know what? He never got beyond the hurts of the past. Never got beyond it. It crippled his joy. It crippled his walk with the Savior. Every Sunday, after we'd come home from church, every Sunday, he'd say to my mom, Ma, you know, Bill Bonfield didn't say hi. You know, Bill Johnson... You know, I went and picked out the organ, and I did all this stuff. I did all the research for it and everything and everything. You know, Bill Johnson's never thanked me. You know, I don't know who was it that voted against me to be trustee this year in it, but I think it was John Worden. It'd go on and on and on. Oh, sure, he was a believer. But he never got to believing what Paul said was personally true for him. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, God will clear that up for you too. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul had tons of hurts he could dwell on. His ministry, his entire ministry, was under the open hostility of all those around him. Darts were flying, flying arrows were flying at him all the time. And he kept on keeping on, but he refused to look back and dwell on the unfairness of life. What do you do? What do I do? I know sometimes when I share what has happened in my life that, that many ask, how can you possibly get over that unthinkable hurt of the past in your life? And I share, you know, hallelujah, quite frankly, it's what brought me to a need for the Savior. It's what brought me to my needs. I am so thankful for the hurts of the past because he has used them for my good and for his glory. Because that's who he is. So we, 
aren't to look back at the accomplishments, we're not to look back at the hurts, and then we're not to look back at the sin and the guilt that we can be burdened by. Paul was the chief among all sinners, he said, didn't he? Absolutely. Was Paul, he says, man, I was a chief of all sinners. He sinned before he became a Christian. He tortured, he murdered people. He murdered Christians, innocent people. He'd caused tons of pain. He had caused much damage to the cause of Christ, to the cross of Christ. And now he was faced with a choice. He can either dwell on that, on those past sins, those past guilt burdens, or he can accept God's forgiveness freely and learn from that and walk forward and experience that newfound joy. And Paul, thankfully, chose the latter. He looked forward. He decided not to look back. In my own life story, you know, I went from a Saulette to a Paulette. I mean, I continued to do um, many a time. The old devil, the old accuser would come along even now and say, you know, Margaret, what are you doing in front of these women at River Glen? What are you doing sharing with them? You know what? You did this, 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 this. And I'll say, but guess what? I have been redeemed. And when people see a redeemed life, they just might believe there's a redeemer. So you can just skedaddle on and bother somebody else in the name of Jesus because I'm not listening to the accusations in my ear. Because the word of God says, as far as the east is from the west, so is my sin forgiven. That's what you say to him. I'm sure that's what Paul says to him or said to him. You don't look back at the past sin, at the past guilt. You keep on keeping on. In the 1984 Olympics, it was in Los Angeles, the favorite to win the 110-meter hurdles was an American guy named Greg Foster. And the gun goes off, and he's a little nervous, but you know what? He kept the lead. And just as he's getting to the very end, to the finish line, he ever so slightly, ever so slightly, just peers over his right shoulder. And that was a huge mistake because that small move cost him a few hundredths of a second, and he lost to his training partner, Tom Jefferson. He looked back just ever so slightly. And the one thing Paul is saying, if you want to achieve greatness in the kingdom of God, don't look back. You must not look back, either at the successes of life, the failures of life, the sin, the past guilt, all that burden, don't look back. It's forgiven. That will only slow or stop your progress. You must remain focused. So let's ask ourselves, what accomplishments are you looking back at? What hurts are you looking back at? And sort of nursing them. What sin, what guilt are you looking back at that keeps you from running freely with Jesus all the way to the finish line? Because he doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to remain focused. Never quit training. Never look back. And then you need to train with winners and champions. 
You need to train with winners and champions. Okay? In all those weeks of Paul watching like first century ESPN or something, because he used athletic stuff all the time, all right? Those games that were held in Corinth, all right? Paul saw that if an athlete wanted to be a good runner, it would help if he would run and he would train with someone who's better than he. Verse 17 says, Join with others in following my example, brothers, Paul's saying, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. See, in this way, you learn from their experiences. In this way, you learn from their successes. And Paul says here, that same principle applies to our Christian life. To grow up, to be a maturing believer, to wanting to know Jesus personally and passionately and powerfully and then preeminently over your whole life, you need to hang around or relate to others who are running in stride. They're keeping up with the Spirit. They're running in stride with the Spirit. We need to follow good examples. And good example that Paul mentions first is himself. Did you hear that? The first example he mentions to everyone he's sharing with is himself. (sighs) That's convicting. Can you say that? Follow me as I'm following Jesus. You know what? If you can't look at Jesus, follow me. I'll take you right to him. Paul did. Now, Paul isn't proud. Paul isn't being this holier-than-thou thing. Okay? Remember, he, he doesn't say that he's perfect or that he's arrived. He's already shared that with us. Okay? He's simply saying, like 1 Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can you say that? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can I say that? Research has shown that the quickest way to become proficient in any kind of endeavor is to imitate exactly someone who has already mastered it. We go up to Fort Wilderness, which is in McNaughton, Wisconsin, and uh, every year there's a women's retreat that I have. It's our fifth annual coming up in October. And uh, during family camp, there's this guy named Johnny Morrison. He's an incredible archer. The man can do a bow and arrow like I have never seen before. And if you want to shoot bow and arrow, find someone skilled in archery, you will go and find Johnny Morrison, okay? We see him at Fort Wilderness every year, and every year he and his family win every age bracket of the archery contest, every time. You know why? Because they have watched their dad. They have imitated their dad. They've done exactly what their dad does. And they're imitating his successes. They hold the bow the way Johnny holds the bow. They stand the way Johnny stands. They tilt their head the way Johnny tilts his head. They close one eye like Johnny closes one eye. And so on and so on. They know that if they do what Johnny does, that they will progress much faster in this archery than they will if they just start doing it themselves and shooting everywhere with the arrows. The best way to master something is to imitate a master. And Paul says, I understand that principle. Follow me. I'll take you right to Jesus. 
Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He knew that anyone who wanted to excel in the race of life would do well to find a mentor in someone who's just a step ahead with the Savior. That they want to hitch the ride with to finish that marathon, to finish well and remain focused. My mom was my mentor for years, and that was a really good thing. She trained me in the ways of Christ. I followed her example. She noted that I had become teachable. I had become soft-hearted and teachable, like the disciples that Jesus chose to walk with him on earth. They certainly were pretty slow learners, but they had a teachable, pliable heart. And that's what's necessary to have that one focus and to become more like him. See, that's the key as you mentor someone as well because you're leading them and eventually what's going to happen is they're going to get into God's stride and then they're going to mentor the next person. And then that person will mentor the next person. And then that person will mentor the next person. And just like said, Jesus says to go into the world and make disciples, that's what it's about. You disciple the next one, the next one, the next one, and the next one. I remember coming home from a women's retreat with my mom. I had taken her to a women's retreat. And every year we'd come home and I'd be driving and I'd say, Mom, you know what? This is what I learned. This was a nugget of truth that God had given me. This is something that, that I know that uh, I need to be changed in. And, and God would give me a nugget of truth every time. And this time as we got in the car, I said to Mom, you know, I know that God spoke to me and, I, and I'm listening and everything, but I, there's just not this one nugget that I'm chewing on. And then we drove a little further and I said, Mom, I got it. I know what it is. I'm like, you don't need to be my mentor anymore. You don't need to be my tangible Jesus anymore. Don't get me wrong. It's not that I didn't want her as a mentor. I didn't need her as a mentor anymore. Because I was keeping in step with Jesus. Just him and me. Just he and me. My mom was thrilled. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's great. Keep on growing, Margo. Never quit training. Never look back. Always, always run with champions and with winners. Remaining focused. So if you want to grow up in Christ, if you want to understand more and more about the kingdom of God, then the you need to train with those who are obviously growing themselves. Winners, champions in Christ. Paul tells us, never stop training. Never look back at the accomplishments. Never look back at the hurt. Never look back at the sin and the horrible guilt that goes along with it. Always train with winners and with champions. And lastly, and the best, remember whose team you're on. Remember whose team we're on. Verse 20, Paul says this, that we run through life and encounter people who aren't running 
like we are, okay? They're not running in our direction. They're people who don't value Christ. They don't value knowing Christ. And he says, do not forget. We must not forget that we are on heaven's team. We're on heaven's team. And that is where citizenship lies, he says. We are on heaven's team. That's where our citizenship lies. On this side of eternity, guess what? You and I are playing an away game. We're just playing an away game. We know where the goalpost lies. And to make any progress toward that victory, you have to know where the goalpost lies. And that's heaven. That's heaven. I heard a story uh, that my dad told years ago, a true story. And it was when World War II broke out, and my dad was in World War II, this guy named John joined the Navy. And so did a buddy of his. And the day came when the buddy of his and John um, went to the little town to catch the bus. And as John's buddy was climbing on board and sitting next to him, the buddy's father tugged on the son's elbow, and this is what he said. He looked him straight in the face, and he said this, Calvin, wherever you go in this world, always remember whose son you are. Calvin, wherever you go in this world, always remember whose son you are. And that statement penetrated that guy named John forever, as he didn't have a dad like Calvin's. And he wanted a dad like that. In fact, he never had one until he met the Heavenly Father. And then that statement rang true for John as well. Paul is saying the same thing to us. Always remember whose daughter you are. Your daughter of the king. Always remember whose daughter you are. We need to re- remember that you and I represent the Heavenly Father. We are family members. We are citizens of heaven. That means we're aliens on this earth. We are citizens of heaven, and we represent the heavenly Father. Eternal life started the second that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not just the Savior of the world, your Savior, that your sin put him on the cross. You know, I know I put him on the cross. I didn't need any of your sin. My sin kept him on that cross. That's when eternal life started. And as we continue on, we realize that we are daughters of the king. We are forgiven, and we are walking with the king. So we better act like it. We better act like it, or we won't be bringing other people on our race because we're not acting any different than they are. Why join the race? Why come along? They won't see any difference in us. They're a citizen of this world, and we're a citizen of heaven. They won't see that we're on the away team. So Paul says to the Philippians, and he says to us tonight, you must never forget that you are citizens of heaven. That's a very, very good thing. And your conduct, however, must match your citizenship. Listen to this story. 
Alexander the Great was one of the greatest military generals who ever lived. He conquered almost the entire known world with his vast army. And one night during the campaign, he couldn't sleep. He left his tent to get up and walk around the campgrounds. And as he was walking around the campgrounds, he came across a soldier who had fallen asleep on guard duty. That was an incredibly serious offense. The penalty for falling asleep on guard duty was in some cases instant death. They'd pour kerosene on him and they would light it. The soldier began to wake up and Alexander the Great approached him and recognizing who was standing in front of him, the young man feared for his life. Alexander the Great said, do you know what the penalty is for falling asleep during guard duty? Yes, sir. Soldier, what's your name? Alexander, sir. What's your name? My name is Alexander, sir. I'm asking you, what is your name? My name is Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great then looked at the soldier straight 